How are we doing? Everybody kind of over that whole time change thing and, and moving into the day, right? Who needs another hour? Come on. So my name is Pastor Doug, one of your associate pastors here, and it's an honor to get to be up here and preach to y'all. I got to get a couple things off my chest, though, first. Did y'all pay attention to that uh, announcement slide? I'm worried about the Easter thing, because it said the kids are going to have safari animals. Have you ever been on a safari? When I went on a safari related to mission, the animals we saw would eat those kids for snacks. So just consider yourself warned, okay? Y'all do what you want to do, but I wouldn't bring my kid. No. I just found that kind of strange. That's pretty cool seeing Pastor Daniel all the way around the world, wasn't it? So uh, I ran into one of our church members out in the Connection Center. Uh, just shows you our world and how connected it is. He already had pictures from his wife who was on the trip and was in that service and got rebaptized just a minute ago in the uh, Jordan River. How amazing is that? How amazing. It's hard to believe at times, isn't it, that there was a time when people didn't know who Jesus is. Think about that for a minute. Let that just kind of waft over you. There was a day and time when people were like, who? What? No, that didn't happen. We know the book. We know the stories. We know it from the front to the back, from the back to the front. So it's hard at times, I think, to kind of enter into these stories without a bit of a relaxed, maybe even jaded ear, like, oh, yeah, we've heard that before, Pastor Doug. That's a good story. That's a sweet story. That's exactly how I thought about them this week. And um, uh, Gracie and I actually had to play a little bit of uh, scriptural choreography because the story that we both have for today is uh, John 10, where I'm going to talk about Jesus the gate. She's going to talk next week about Jesus the good shepherd. And they're kind of like this. They are stories that are interwoven. So to understand one, you'll understand the other and vice versa. And that's a little plug for Gracie preaching next week, by the way. So these I am statements that we've been exploring now for a couple of weeks, when I think about those, I think about them in just this real black and white terms of understanding who Jesus is, understanding better the true identity of Jesus the Christ. I guess it's because I've uh, been doing this now for a while, but I will confess that sometimes I read these stories and I go, well, that's nice, and I go along my way. Well, um, sometimes, have y'all found this to be true? God, when you say, oh, that's nice, God goes, oh, is it? And kind of pokes you a little bit. So I had my sermon all written up through Friday. And then I sat down yesterday to think it through a little more. And God's like, you know what? I think you need to change that part and that part, move this over there, and so forth and so on. And I will point those places out uh, when we get to it. Anyway, enough of all that. Got a, a little riddle for you. Can you have eyesight but still be blind? Can you? There you go. Thank you. Was that Alan? Thank you, brother. Can you hear the words but not listen to the message? And on my text right next to it in parentheses, it says husbands. I don't know what that's about. I don't, I don't know who wrote who wrote that in there? So we're not actually going to have hearing and vision tests this morning, but both stories that we're going to read 
are very much about our senses and Jesus' relationship to them and both the importance of uh, clear vision and good listening. If you would now listen, I'm going to read first. Uh, we're going to go to John 9, and if you have a uh, Bible with you or the Bible app or Treach app, uh, turn with me. I'm going to read it, though, from the um, message translation. I really like that translation. It's very casual, and it sounds kind of like I would talk and maybe you would talk as well. So the setting is Jesus is walking down the road, and when Jesus walked down the road, you can imagine there were other people kind of hangers-on, right? His disciples, and then when he came into town, he kind of caused a stir, and there would be people either, you know, off the path looking and wondering and sizing him up. Well, this is just such an occasion. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, what caused him to be born blind? In that day and time, it was, that was the kind of general understanding of there was something wrong with you. If you were blind or infirmed in any way, uh, they didn't understand genetics and DNA and all of that, but they understood, well, somebody else's fault. Somebody else must have done something. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame, and there's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. Does that sound familiar? Remember how we started the series with I am the light of the world? He said this and then spit in the dust, made a clay paste with the saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's hand, and said, go and wash, wash at the pool of Siloam. The man went and washed and saw. Think about that for just a minute. That simple little phrase, the man went, followed Jesus' directions, and washed and saw. This is one of those spots where this week Jesus said, hey, I want you to reread that part again. Do you ever get jaded or get so casual things you read in the Bible that you just kind of move past them? Well, your pastor is standing up here confessing that at times I read this book and I'm like, well, that's nice. Okay, next. I want you to hear that miracle. The man went and washed and saw. Let, if we, we could stop right there and have a reminder and understanding of the nature of Jesus the Christ. Soon the town was buzzing. Can you imagine if they had had Facebook and Instagram and all that back then? This would have been hot news. It would have been, what do they call it when, uh, Caroline, what do they call it when everybody in the world sees it and it's super popular? It goes what? Viral, thank you. Caroline's like, what? Pastor Doug, don't call me out. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him as a blind man begging were saying, why? Isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Imagine that right there, just that you were known as the blind man who sat over there and begged. There's no mention of the blind man having a name. I'm sure he did. But everybody in the town, including his family, knew him as the blind beggar man. I think that identity is about to change. 
Others said, yep, that's him, all right. That's the blind beggar man. But others objected and said, no, 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 no. It's not the same man at all. It just looks like him. He said, yep, it's me, the very one. They said, how did your eyes get opened? A man named Jesus made a paste and rubbed it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. I did what he said. When I washed, I saw. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Previously, he went and washed and saw. Again, he went and washed and his eyes were open. What do you know? So where is he? Where is this man? The blind man said, I don't know. They marched the man to the Pharisees. This day when Jesus made the paste and healed his blindness was the Sabbath. All right, so we think a very, uh, we have conditioned our Sabbath in a much different way, maybe too much so. But I want you to go home today and Google, what did it mean to follow the Sabbath or break the Sabbath? There are some uh, very interesting and, and perhaps strange, maybe bizarre rules that were being were, uh, supposed to be upheld. But certainly, can you imagine this? It was against the Sabbath to heal somebody. And we think of all days, the Sabbath as a day to just really kind of bask in the glow of Jesus' identity. Well, of course, Jesus was to them a threat. So the Pharisees grilled him again on how he had come to see. And again, he said, don't you think by now he's like, are you not listening? He put a clay paste on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, obviously this man can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath about Jesus. Others countered, how can a bad man do miracles? God revealing things like this. There was a split in their ranks. Some were beginning to believe and others were deep in their doubts. They came back to the blind man and said, you're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? Blind men said, I believe he's a prophet. Well, the Jews didn't believe it. They didn't believe the man was blind to even begin with. So they called his parents of the man now bright-eyed with his sight. They asked him, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now sees? His parents said, well, we know. We know he's our son, and we know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see having a clue about who opened his eyes, why don't you go and ask him? Do you know why it was important that they deny that? Because if they affirmed, they too would be making an affirmation of Jesus' identity, and for that you get the boot. You get kicked out. His, his parents were talking like this because they were intimidated by the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that this was the Messiah, well, they would be kicked out of the meeting place. They called the man back a second time. The man who had been blind had told him, give credit to God. We know this man is an imposter. The blind man said, I know nothing about that one way or the other, but I know one thing for sure. I was blind and now I see. They said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Don't you think this is like one of the longest interrogations known to mankind? <laughs> um, if this was on court TV, people would have already turned the channel. I've told you over and over and over again, and you haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? 
Are you so eager to become his disciples? Is that little twist? He's kind of trying to pull them in because if they affirmed that they were becoming his disciples, well, that would change, that would change the whole narrative, wouldn't it? With that, they jumped all over him and said, you might be a disciple of that man, but we are disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man comes from. The blind man, now healed, replied, this is amazing. You claim to know, any, you claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is, he opened my eyes. It's well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. That somehow opened the eyes of a man born blind has never been heard of, ever. If this man didn't come from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. They said, you're nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? Then they threw him out in the street. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and went and found him and asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man now healed said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe, the man said and worshiped him. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Amazing. Miraculous. What's that have to do with you and me? Is about affirming the ability of Christ? Is that a pointer to Jesus as the Messiah? Could it also be an invitation for you and me to check our vision? Do you ever not see things right in front of you? Men? We have that disease sometimes, don't we? Women having the miraculous ability to see all things hidden in the refrigerator. I don't know quite how Wendy does that. I sometimes look past things or around things or overlook things or people. Do you ever do that? I think maybe that's another form of blindness. Like, I really don't like seeing when I drive home at the end of the day Right there at 35 and 121, that man that stands there and is obviously dirty and hungry. I don't, I like to look past that. Do you like, I don't like to see things I don't want to see. So I wonder this morning if part of this lesson is for us to check our vision and to check what we see and what we look past and what we deny is even there in the first place. It could be that in my casual approach to Jesus at times, I just take for granted his miracles. It could be. So this event happened, and it didn't come to an end. You know, a lot of times we, uh, we think when we, we read the Bible in these like, chapters, and so that was chapter 9, and now we're going to chapter 10. Well, that must mean it's a whole new setting, whole new day, whole new everything, right? Well, not so much. The story is a discourse that has, that continues. Just because somebody a long time ago said, well, you know what, right here is where we're going to put a 10 and start over again, that doesn't necessarily mean the message of Jesus 
came to an end and restarted. So imagine, just imagine that scene. There's a man that was known as the blind beggar who now sees. His parents are standing there and having just kind of denied the whole scene so that they would stay safe. There's Jewish leaders, they're Pharisees, and I don't think everybody said, all right, let's go to lunch. They kept standing there. Chapter 10 says, let me set this before you as plainly as I can. Doesn't Jesus sound a little perturbed? I like perturbed Jesus. I like that. I like that he was feisty. I like that he was a little irritated that they're not getting it. So he tries to give it another shot. And he says, if a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen, instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good, a sheep rustler. We... Uh, City folk have a hard time understanding what that is all about, don't we? But back in that day, out in the field particularly, the shepherds would gather together. Uh, in some cases, it was very nice. It was like a stone wall. You've seen stone walls before. In other cases, it was just an uh, assemblage of brush and bramble made in a big circle to keep the sheep safe. And there was an opening, literally the gate, but without the gate. And the shepherd would, once all the sheep were in at night, tucked in their place, sleep as the doorway. Does that make a little more sense now? The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You know, uh, shepherds get a bad rap, and I think sheep get a bad rap. Um, they knew each other well. You can only imagine the hours on end that they spent out in the field. But every sheep knew that master's voice. And the master knew every one of his sheep. Back in that day and time, remember the other story about the, the 99 and the 1? You would go to all ends to find one of your lost sheep. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them, and they follow because they're familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Do you think by then there was a big bubble with a big question mark over the head of all the people standing there like, why are we, why are we having a lesson on shepherding? What's, what's, this, what's this all about? I want you to think for a minute about who Jesus might be alluding to with the sheep rustlers. In other translations, they're called thieves or bandits. Perhaps it was that these folk didn't have the best interest of the sheep at heart. Who might be standing there that needs a little poking? Could it be the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders? Well, by now, Jesus was like, they're not getting it. These people are not getting it. Those are my words, not Jesus' words. Uh, so Jesus told this simple story. They had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried again. I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. I think he wanted, he probably looked at him and said, repeat after me. All those others are up to no good. Sheep rustlers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for. They will freely go in and out and find pasture. 
A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Our friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all, there's so much here for us to contemplate. In that day and time, as I said, the sheep rustlers, the thieves and the bandits had ulterior motives in getting the sheep. They were not about what Jesus said, the freely going in and out and finding pasture. He says, a thief is only there to steal and kill so they can have real and eternal life. Some translations say so they can go and be safe. Others say uh, they can be saved. And others still again say find salvation. All of those are true at the very same time. I think that's a nice story. It's a real sweet story. It makes me feel really good about Jesus and, and being a sheep. But then I wonder, okay, that's, that's nice. I like, I like all that. What, but what's that, what's that have to do with you and me? Do you allow, do I allow Jesus to be the shepherd of, of my life? And now I do. What does that look like? How do I... How do I know the voice I hear is coming from Jesus and not just the clamor of the world? Well, one of the things we can do is always test the other over and against Scripture. If it doesn't align with Scripture, it's probably not Jesus' voice. If it's not about the goodwill and the benefit of the sheep, if it's about the benefit of the thief or bandit or robber, it's probably not from Jesus. If it's about anybody else being uplifted but Jesus, it's probably not from Jesus. And again, then, I wonder, so, okay, okay, stay in the words, read the Bible, clean out my ears, listen more to God. And when I was thinking and messing with this some yesterday, I really got convicted to imagine what this means to you and me today and our relationship uh, as sheep who uh, have the ability to watch out for other sheep or perhaps to be uh, shepherds in training. And I watch the news. I'm kind of a, one of my many faults, but I, I watch way too much news. And this week was a hard news week. There were some really horrific things that happened to children, and then even in our own community. Uh, come to find out an 18-year-old is helping be the supply line for fentanyl. That's killing scores of kids. And then I read this story, and I think about sheep and shepherd and safe and safety, and I think about us. And what's our relationship to these people in our community who are hurting? Do we have a relationship or responsibility? I think maybe we do. I don't know exactly how we execute it, but I think it is incumbent upon all of us who know the shepherd to go and imitate the shepherd in as many ways as we can. To know the sheep by name. Can you imagine uh, being a kid in our world who is hurting and somebody spends the time to know them by name? I know that some of you are involved in tutoring at Hedrick and at other elementary schools and other schools here in town. 
Imagine being a kid who um, hardly ever hears their name except maybe when they're in trouble. Imagine what that might be like in those formative years to know that you are loved, you are a beloved child of God, and I'm going to help watch out for you until you're able to watch out for yourself and then years beyond. What would it look like to be the shepherd over kids who have fallen into drug addiction? What would that look like for us? Would that look like we invested more time, more energy, more money into recovery? into addressing the needs at the very beginning? I don't know. I don't have the answers, but it seems to me we need to, uh, we need to step back and, and check out where the sheep are hanging out. And are they hanging out at home? Are they hanging out at places where that sounds like a cool thing to go and do and go and try? And a lot of times these kids try it, and that's the last thing they ever tried. We've had some here in our own congregation die because of that. I'm not up here just to poke and provoke, but I am up here to think and even convict myself that sometimes I read this book and I think it sounds real nice and we come and we feed all of the sheep and then we go home and take a nap and we call it good. I think that we are called upon to get in there with the sheep. I don't know that I've ever been in a sheep corral. Have any of y'all? I bet we need boots. Don't you think we're going to need some boots, Yoli? Yeah. We're going to need some boots, and we're going to probably need, I don't know, sheep treats. What do sheep like? Well, they like the little treats I give my dog. I don't, I don't know. But I think it's time to that we don't just drive by the sheep pen. We get in there, and we get to know them, and we pull on our boots. What do you say? Let's pray. Gracious God, life is hard sometimes, but we have it pretty darn easy, or at least I sure do. I can come and go as I please, and I have plenty to eat and drink and sleep on, and uh, I don't even think that much about the sheep. God, help us as a people of faith perk up our ears to the opportunities that are right outside our door of sheep who are in need, who are hungry and thirsty, and need to be reminded that they are your beloved children. In your precious name we pray. Amen.